0: We welcome you to the REST podcast. The messages you will hear have been taken from sessions from past REST conferences. We pray that God will use this message to encourage and strengthen you in your walk with the Lord and your ministry for Him. So I want you to open your Bible with me, if you will, to the Gospel according to John, to John chapter number 4. Now, when you get to John 4, take a deep breath and act like you've never seen it before, all right? The problem with familiar text is that they are familiar text. So you get to a passage like John 4, especially preachers, we're the worst. You know that. We're the worst because the page is already marked up with so many things and we get distracted by our own notes and we think, I've seen that before, I've heard that before, I know that already. But I want you to look at it tonight. It's nothing new, but I want you to try to look at it tonight with fresh eyes. Would you just pray right now, Holy Spirit, give me fresh eyes. Let me see this from a different perspective tonight to apply it to my own ministry. Now, John 4, of course, is the famous story of the Lord ministering to the woman at the well. And this Samaritan woman getting saved, it set in motion a spiritual chain reaction that turned the whole city to God. Wouldn't you like to see that in your hometown? And by the way, that is how it happens with somebody getting thoroughly right with the Lord. What I want to show you is the beginning of the story, and the end of the story. So look with me at John chapter 4, verse number 1. The Bible says, When therefore the Lord knew, what did He know? Answer is all of the above. He knows everything. He knew the motive. He knew the thoughts. He knew the desires. Isn't that convicting? When the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Would you take your pen and mark a phrase in verse number 6? It's this expression, being wearied with his journey. Being wearied with his journey. Now, immediately, I want you to skip the conversation with the woman. You know the story, but for our purpose, go to the end of the story now. Notice how it ends. Look at John chapter 4 and verse number 27. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked to the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him in the meanwhile. Mark that expression in your Bible. Did you know that many of the things the Lord teaches us, He teaches us in the in-between times of life, Uh, the down times, the parenthetical moments, the the in-between times in the meantime the lord's getting a whole class in the meanwhile his disciples prayed him saying master eat but he said unto them i have meat to eat that you know not of i wish i could read that like jesus must have said it therefore said the disciples one to another and then man brought him aught to eat can't you use a little imagination see peter james and john talking one another somebody brought him a hamburger while we were gone fellas I mean, we went to get him something for supper, and he's already eaten. But that wasn't what Jesus was talking about. I love this. Look at verse 34. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Now, I want you to see the great contrast. When the story opens, the Lord is weary with his journey. Uh, Can you explain to me how he is all God and all man? Miraculous. That's the uniqueness of our Christ. He's not 50 50. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. He's perfect God and he's perfect man. But as such, our Lord got weary. He got thirsty. He got hungry. He got sad. Uh, he hurt. Uh, Hebrews says that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. Uh, the psalmist said that he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. I don't know about you, that helps me. He became us without sin, God in human flesh, and so he's weary. But when the story ends, now watch this, before he had anything to eat, before he gets a nap, before he gets a night's rest, before he takes a vacation, suddenly at the end of the story, you're listening to the words of the God-man who is thoroughly energized. His circumstances have not changed. I would ask you, what so changed him? What so energized him that by the end of it, he's not even interested in the meal they brought him? What is so interesting and engaging in his inner man that suddenly, instead of rushing to rest, he's rushing to teach his disciples? What was it? Was it the woman? No, it wasn't the woman. Was it, was it the Samaritans? Remember, they're getting to have a citywide revival but they're not there yet. So it was not the people. It was not anything men had to give him that energized him at this moment. It was something the Father did for him in the midst of his weariness. I want to talk to you for a few moments, if I may, on this subject, working through your weariness, working through it. The reality is, we all get weary. Let's take a survey. How many of you are tired? Would you raise your hand? How many of you have been tired for years? Would you raise your hand? All right. So, the truth of the matter is, you get in the Lord's work. It's wearisome at times. Why? Because we're frail. We're dust. Uh, We're humans. We're not super Christians. We're just real people, and we get weary in well-doing at times. In fact, hold your place here a second. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. Go back with me to Isaiah for just a moment. Now, we love to quote Isaiah forty thirty one, but notice the verses before this famous verse. It starts really in verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding." So it begins in Isaiah 40, verse 28, not with us, but with him. Could I recommend to you that when you are weary, the worst thing you can do is talk about your weariness. The truth of the matter is, when we get tired, what do we like to do? We like talking about how tired we are. That's why social media is so famous, you know. We want to share it with somebody else. I mean, honestly. And preachers, look, I'm with different preachers every week of my life. We we all like to do it. We get together. How are you doing? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's been a really busy season. i tell you, it's just... And immediately, we're into our diatribe of all we've done or all we have to do. And I'm going to tell you something I've learned for me. The more I talk about how tired I am, the more tired I get. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it centers everything on me, and there's an end to my energy. There's an end to my resources. There's only one person that there's no end to his energy and end to his resources, and that is our God who never faints and who never gets weary. So the worst thing you can do when you're weary is just sit around thinking about it, and you become what Frank Sales used to call morbidly introspective because you're centered on you, or start talking about it all the time because whatever you talk about all the time eventually is what's going to consume you. The best thing you can do is go back and start meditating on the fact that God never has been tired a day in his life. Think about that. Do you know what sleep is? Sleep is God's daily reminder that God is God and we are not. You know why we collapse in the evenings? As a reminder that we need rest. God doesn't need rest. He only rested to set in motion something for us in the beginning of the creation. But God says, no, you have to sleep. And can I just encourage you? The Bible says, the psalmist says, he giveth his beloved sleep. Look. Sometimes we all toss and turn, don't we? We worry about tomorrow or the meeting next week or the bill to be paid or whatever. You fill in the blank. Everybody's got something on their mind right now. But let me just give you a recommendation. When you go to bed tonight, stretch yourself out on your bed. Let your bed be an altar and say to the Lord, Lord, since you're staying up all night anyhow, I'm going to give all of this to you and I'm going to go to sleep. Look, God always works the night shift. So if he's working, you could rest. Keep reading. Look at verse 29. He giveth power to the faint. Oh, I like this. So now he's not weary, but he's going to help the weary ones. Anybody else glad he helps the weary ones? And to them that have no might, he increases strength. And here's the verse I want you to see. Verse number 30. Even the youths shall faint and be what? Weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. You ever wonder why God emphasized the faintness and the weariness of youth in this verse? I'll tell you why. Because in most of our minds, the way we reason and logic, we think, if I just had fresh legs, I could get this done. If I just had another staff member, I could get this done. If I were just a little younger or had a little more time in the day, I could get this done. And you know what God's great revelation in this passage is? It doesn't matter how young you are, how much help you have, or how many hours in the day you have, you cannot do it apart from God. And that's why it says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be what? Weary. They shall walk and not faint. Would you mark in your Bible in verse 30, be weary, and in verse 31, not be weary? That's what we're trying to learn tonight. How do you get from the I'm weary to the I'm not weary? Look, how do you get from I'm so tired I've got to sit on this well for a minute and catch my breath to I have meat to eat that you know not of? How, how do you get from point A to point B? How many of you would like to know? I'd like to know. And on our way back to our text, let me show you one other New Testament passage. Go over to Hebrews with me for just a second. I quoted one verse to you from Hebrews a moment ago, but look at Hebrews just for a second. Hebrews chapter 4, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 3. I I was meditating on this the other day and I saw something that I think is particularly pertinent right now. Look at Hebrews 12 verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, after it talks about looking to the Lord, it says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself Lest ye be what? Wearied and faint in your minds. Somewhere I want you to write this down. Spiritual conflict is exhausting. It's not just, I need a vacation. The, the, the kind of weariness we're talking about is more than physical, it is mental, it is emotional, it is spiritual. How many of you men know when you get done preaching, you're exhausted? How many of you are tired at the end of Sunday? Okay, watch this. Do you know why? Because not only have you been laboring all day, you've been fighting all day. You've been engaged in spiritual warfare all day long, whether you recognized it or not. And watch this. Now that the warfare has intensified so greatly, that's not just going on on the Lord's Day. We're dealing with that kind of spiritual intensity every day and the contradiction of sinners against you, the pushback, the conflict, the rub. After a while, it wears a man down. And you just get absolutely weary so what can we do about it let's go back to the perfect example of the lord jesus i love this john chapter 4 let me show you two or three things that jesus did that we can do just some application and notice in verse number six the bible says he was wearied with his journey life's a journey isn't it we're all on a journey and by the way, ministry sometimes will take you to out-of-the-way places on your journey. <laughs> it's like, how did we get here? You know, I mean, this is not on the beaten path. When we charted this course back in Bible college, I never saw this stop along the way. No, no, it'll take you out of your way sometimes. But what can you do? You can do what Jesus did. Now, I gave these thoughts to you? Number one, Jesus stayed alert to divine appointments. I want to say to you that in your weariness, God is often doing His greatest work. I mean, think about it. One of the most amazing conversion stories in the whole of Scripture is bound up on the very day that the Bible tells us by the Holy Spirit that Jesus was tired. You think that's an accident, coincidence? Absolutely not. In fact, go back to verse number number 4 and mark this word in your Bible, he must needs. Do you see that word need? Actually, he didn't need to. He went 30 miles outside the normal Jewish route to go through Samaria, Samaria. so what was the need? It was the same thing Paul talked about when he said, necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. So there's a divine necessity that has gripped his soul, and Jesus, no matter how tired he was, is living every day alert, alert, on the lookout for divine appointments. Here's what I've discovered in my own experience. When I am low, when I am low, how many of you ever get low when i am low typically god is getting ready to do something when i feel like lord i i don't i don't think i can even get up to speak typically at that moment the spirit of the living god is actually at that moment doing something that i'm not quite aware of and then on the other side of it, I'll look back and say, oh, I see it now. But I can't see it on the front side. So here's what I've got to do. I've got to so walk in the Spirit each day that I am alert to divine appointments, and I just live by faith, preach in faith, witness in faith, work in faith, and believe in faith that somehow God is working even in the midst of my weariness. Did you ever think about all of the times when Jesus had his greatest interactions? For example, Nicodemus came to Jesus by what? By night. Mm-hmm. Of the Samaritan woman, he crosses paths with her when he's weary. The whole city gathered together at the door. Everybody remember that verse? The whole city was gathered at the get, together at the door. Somebody said, man, I'd like to have that kind of ministry. Read the chapter that leads up to that verse. Bible teachers call it Christ's long day in Capernaum. In fact, it was one of the longest days of his ministry. He was thoroughly exhausted. He's finally gone to his hideout for the night, and the whole city shows up knocking on the door. Be careful what you ask for sometimes, right? But it was at the moment of his his greatest weariness that God was doing his greatest work. How about the multitudes? When did they follow him? When he was trying to say to his disciples, come apart and rest a while. Or how about this one? When did the thief on the cross get saved? You talk about a low moment. He's hanging on a cross. Bearing the sins of the world. And one criminal needs grace. You know, I, I know me. The only person in this room that knows me better, of course, my mother's here. She knows me pretty well, but my, my wife knows me, and I know me. When I get weary, I get grumpy. Anybody else get grumpy? I'm just curious. I get short. I mean, I can, I can be nice and pleasant at church, but when I get really tired, I get in the car and just be, you know. And don't look at me so pious. You do the same thing. And I was thinking about this the other day. Was Jesus tired hanging on that cross? Been up all night. Through all those mistrials, physically depleted, bleeding, life ebbing out of his body, and he takes the time to look at a man who deserves to go to hell like we all do and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. I'm going to tell you what that is. That is a man in the midst of weariness who is always looking for divine appointments. Let me show you something. Hold your place here just a second. Put your left hand here and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I was meditating on this earlier this week. This this is interesting to me. 2 Corinthians 11 is Paul's own personal testimony, ministry testimony. And it's an amazing passage, but just jump in the middle of it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 27. He's given a list of things that characterized his ministry. And what's first on the list in verse 27? In what? Mark it in your Bible. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Let's just stop for a second. Would you look at me? We're all going to be terribly embarrassed at the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, seriously. I mean, I got a message today from a man in the Middle East who said, I sure wish I could be there for your all's meeting. I'm praying for you all. And I thought to myself, I, you know, I'm a bum. That's what I am, living in comfort, complaining over nothing, and our brethren in Afghanistan being martyred for their faith. But then notice verse 28, beside those things that are without, see, that's all personal stuff he's going through. How many of you know personal stuff is just as real as public stuff? Life is just as important as ministry. So verse number 27 is what he's going through individually. Look at verse 28. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, mark this phrase in your Bible, the care of all the churches. that's exhausting. And this is what struck me. In verse 27, you've got weariness, but in verse 28, he's still talking about work. Watch this, please. In the midst of the weariness, there is still a work to do. There is still a work that must be done, and spiritual men and spiritual women have to say, I may be tired, but by the grace of God, I'm going to keep my eyes open for divine appointments that God is setting for me. Let's go back to John 4, and I'll give you a second thing you can do that Jesus did. Not only did he stay alert to divine appointments, but number two, he found his fulfillment in the Father. Not in people, not in them, but in him. He found all of his satisfaction, all of his fulfillment in the Father. And I want you to mark three key words in your Bible. These three key words help me understand the whole story, the big picture of John chapter 4. Would you mark them in your Bible? John chapter 4, every time I stop, you read the next word out loud, okay? They all start with the same letter. That will help you recognize them. Look at John 4 verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized let's try it again one more time, class. Ready? Verse number one, when I stop, you're going to say the next word. Everybody understand? Here we go. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he, circle that word in your Bible, he must. Now come over to the end of the story, to verse number 32. Mark one more word in verse 32. But he said unto them, I have what? All right, three key words here. Don't miss them. The first word is the word more. It's found in verse number one. You know what the word more is? The word more is how most people live, and I'm sorry to tell you this, it's how most preachers labor. We're always measuring by our measurement, a little more than somebody else. In fact, look at verse number one. What were they they arguing over? They were comparing themselves. The Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, You know what one of the marks of a Pharisee is? A mark of a Pharisee is they always keep score. Pharisees always keep score. You know why? Because they have to be a little better than you, or they have to be a little better than they used to be. It has to be a little bigger than before, so they live for the more. Can I just tell you something? The longer I'm in this, the less more means to me. Some things are meaning less and less. And you know why? Because I've started to figure something out. I've started to figure out that when you get to the more, the more doesn't satisfy. Because that's never the goal. That's how we keep score. What was it Paul said to the church at Corinth? They measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves by themselves, they were not wise. How foolish we are as Christian servants To live for the more. That's what the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, were in the trap of doing. Look what Jesus was guarded and guided by. Verse 4, he must. Jesus did not live for the more. He lived for the must. What's the difference? More is what matters to men. Must is what matters to God. Jesus said, I only got one thing to do, and that is whatever the Father tells me to do. Well, let me ask you a question. Would it make sense to you that if you could heal people, you, you would think Jesus would have healed everybody? How do you think that makes sense? I mean, if you could raise dead people, why not walk into every cemetery and say, come forth and watch them all come out? Or if you could get a whole city to come out, why start with one woman? I mean, it seemed like he could have just walked right into the middle of the city and stood up someplace and said, let me have your attention, please. I'm Messiah, and I want to talk to everybody for a moment but he doesn't. He starts with one woman. Do you know why? Because he's only concerned with one thing, and that is, what does the Father want me to do? I said to a young man today who's just starting out in the ministry, I said to this young man that I'm trying to encourage, son, one of the things you'll have to discover is something that I'm learning, and it is this, just because you could do it doesn't mean you should do it. Everything that everybody else is doing doesn't mean you have to do it. And everything you say you have the ability to do doesn't mean God wants you to do it. Everything you take for yourself doesn't mean that's God's calling for you. You better find the must and not the more. And then here's the third word. It's interesting. There's a divine order here. Progression of truth in verse 32 is the word meat. Watch this. More is what men want. Must is what God wants. And meat is what God gives when you do what he wants. I love this. When she found water, he found meat. What satisfied her? Living water from that well. Praise God. What satisfied him? The meat of doing the Father's will. May I say to you, there's nothing more fulfilling and satisfying in this world or the world to come than just obeying God. There is a joy in obedience when you know you preached the sermon and nobody responded, but you know you obeyed God. Go home and go to bed and rejoice that you did what God told you to do. And when you make the decision, and people say, we don't get that. Look, rejoice, you obeyed what God, the, by the Holy Spirit, led you to do. And rest in that. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Look at what he says in verse 34. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. You might want to circle my meat, his work. The, the, the most fulfilling, satisfying thing in the world is simply finding out what God has for you and doing that being satisfied with God's will. Are you contending God's will, or do you have to have more? Am I satisfied with whatever God chooses for me, or do I have to somehow scheme and connive and manufacture another way? It's weary. It's weary. It's exhausting. There's no end to that. No, no. Look, keep your eyes open for the divine appointments and then find all your fulfillment in the Father and who He is and what he wants for you. Dad said to me when I was a boy, he said, Son, always remember this. In life, there'll be two kinds of people. There'll be givers and takers. You'll have to decide which one you're going to be. And I was looking at this passage again this week, and it dawned on me, what was Jesus? He wasn't there taking. He was there giving. But watch, while he's there giving living water, the Father's pouring meat into his inner man. Isn't that just like God? When you're giving out, and you're doing what God wants you to do, God's replenishing the storehouse. God's renewing you. Find your fulfillment in Him. What a little interesting footnote. Did you ever notice verse number 27? I wonder why verse 27 is in the Bible. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked to the woman. Now, obviously, she's a sinful woman, but even more than that, the Jews and the Samaritans, remember, had no dealings with each other. But notice this Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? They wanted to ask. But they just couldn't bring themselves to say why are you talking to that woman i mean like how'd that conversation get started lord nobody asked but you know what i love jesus was not at all concerned about what they would say or what they would think he was only concerned about what does the father think and what will the father say and i'm gonna tell you what that is that's liberating it sets your soul free because the fear of man always brings a snare and the only way to get out of the snare is start keeping your eyes on the father and if he smiles that's good enough david brainerd died as you know as a very young man riding horseback you know trying to win the indians to christ coughing up blood i can't imagine he wrote a letter to his brother just before he died and in the letter to his brother here's what Brainerd wrote. I declare, he wrote, now I am dying. I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. There is nothing in the world worth living for but doing good and finishing God's work, doing the work that Christ did. I see, he wrote, nothing else in the world that can yield any satisfaction besides living to God, pleasing Him, and doing His whole will. Sounds to me like he found meat to eat that we know not of. You want to work through your weariness? Number one, stay alert to divine appointments. Number two, find your fulfillment in the Father. And number three, let me give you one more, keep your eyes on eternity. Let's keep reading the rest of the story. We stopped in verse 34, but he didn't stop. Jesus said in verse 35, "'Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest.'" And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit into life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. He's talking about a future time. He's he's talking about when we all gather around the nail-pierced feet of Jesus. That's what he's talking about. In fact, I've marked in my Bible this, this expression, fruit unto life eternal. See, you don't see all the fruit here. You don't get all the fruit here. It's fruit unto life eternal, verse 37. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you're entered into their labors. What was he teaching them? He was teaching them that in the midst of the weariness, when you get weary even doing good work, the best thing you can do is keep your eyes on eternal things. In fact, would you mark something in your Bible? Verse number 35, mark this expression, lift up your eyes. Can I say this to everybody that's gathered here tonight? Get your head up. Get your head up. In fact, study through the psalms several times, the, the lifting up of the head. Who is God? He is the lifter up of mine head. What is that? Look, I, I'm in airports a lot. It's funny. People don't look you in the eye anymore. People won't look you in the eye. I like trying to make eye contact with people. People won't look in the eye. You know why? They're all looking down. Actually, most of them are looking at their phones. But... At least spiritually speaking, do you know most Christians are walking around with their heads down right now? And most preachers I'm with. You know, it's head down. It's, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Dr. Robertson used to say two men behind prison bars, one looked at the mud, the other the stars. Everybody must choose whether they're going to live and labor with their head down or their head up. And Jesus was a head up man. And he was saying to these disciples, hey, fellas, it's time to get your head up. Get out of yourself. Get out of the circumstances. Get out of the questions. Get out of the things you don't understand. Get out of the temporal things of this world. Get your head up. Lift up your eyes. Look on the field. Look at them. They're white, already to harvest. What was he saying to them? Get your eyes back on souls. Let me ask you something. Why would you get in the ministry to start with? I remember the night God called me to preach. How many of you remember when God led you into the Lord's work? Why would you get into the ministry to start with? Did you get into the ministry to, to do more? Did you get into the ministry to accomplish something? Did you get into the ministry to hold a title? Or did you get into the ministry like I did thinking, you know, I'd like to point people to Jesus. I'd like to take some people to heaven with me. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. Get engaged in gospel work. He talks about those in verse 36 and 37 who are sowing and others are reaping. Look, we're all at different parts of this harvest, but we're all working the same harvest. And some are sowing and some are reaping. And frankly, sometimes we sow and sometimes we reap. But we're all in the wonderful work of God, and it's time to get our minds on what's just around around the next bend, just over the horizon. Jesus is coming. And how easy it is to get bogged down with this world. And I've had to make myself turn the news off, frankly. I, I'm staying abreast of world events, but I've just had to make myself stop listening to so much of it because, frankly, I get myself so inundated with it and so consumed with it that after a while I find myself doing something. I'm thinking more of this world than the next. And suddenly I'm, I'm convicted because I'm thinking, that's not what God called me to do. God called me to work for the world to come. My work is not temporal work. My work is eternal work. Do You know the greatest distraction right now? is the distraction of trying to help people feel better where they are but if you're not careful you can get so busy trying to help people feel better where they where they are you forget that our greatest calling is to keep people out of hell we lose our passion we lose our vision we lose our heart and i'm saying to you the answer to working through your weariness is not just to take a break. Maybe you do need a break. Maybe you do need a vacation. There's a time and place for that. But the answer to working through the weariness is to get back to the thing that was motivating to start with. There is something energizing to the inner man about seeing people come to faith in Christ. anybody remember the first person you ever led to Jesus? When was the last person you led to Christ? If you go back in your mind and you think about that person coming to Jesus and what that meant, what it did, not just for them, the woman, but what it did for you, I'm saying to you, if we could start looking at others and looking at the Father and looking at eternity instead of looking at ourselves, looking at the government and looking at the circumstances, we would all be a heap better off. This is the only way to keep working through your weariness. I want you to bow your head with me for just a moment. John 4 is rich and wonderful, and I hope you'll spend more time in it because it's the ultimate example. It's not any of us. It's Jesus. Do you remember what the Bible says in Hebrews of Jesus? For the joy that was set before him. There's joy coming, friends. Nothing can compare with the glory that shall follow, Paul wrote. How many of you would be honest and say, I am weary? Would you raise your hand? The truth is, I think, in recent days, all of us have been. Maybe at this juncture, this moment, you're not overwhelmed with it, overcome with it, but it may be when you walk out the door tonight and get the voicemail you are again. And I want to say to you that Jesus knows exactly what you're dealing with, but he also knows the solution because he kept working right through his weariness. Thank you for listening. We hope the Lord has used this message to speak to you. The REST Conference is a meeting designed to encourage and strengthen pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and their wives, along with other Christian workers serving the Lord in their local churches. REST 2021 is scheduled for September 6th through the 8th at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. We hope that you and your spouse will make plans to be with us. For more information on REST, please visit our website therestconference.com